0: This is the early link podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Marina Merrill from Children's Institute, who is the senior research and policy advisor for the organization and leads CI's research on prenatal through third grade issues, evaluation, data collection and analysis. I'm also speaking with Dr. Beth Green, research professor and director of early childhood and family support research at the Center for the Improvement of Child and Family Services at Portland State University. Welcome.
1: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for that great introduction. Mm-hmm.
0: Today we're going to be talking about the Early Works Initiative, which is a 10-year initiative working in two Oregon communities. One is in Yancala, uh, with Yankala Elementary down in Douglas County. The other is at Earl Boyles Elementary in Portland, which is in Multnomah County. Uh, that project was set up to explore and demonstrate a new approach to education and healthy development for young children and it began in 2010. Uh, Marina, could you provide some background on the Early Works Initiative and how it functions in both school communities?
1: Sure, so as you mentioned, Early Works started back in uh, 2010, And it was really the vision of Swati Ardarkar, the CEO and president of Children's Institute, where she wanted to reimagine education and see what could be done differently. And so she started going across the country and looking at different models and then started to have conversations in our own state and looked at several different models there and found a really strong leader in Don Grotting, who was the former superintendent of the David Douglas uh, School District. And she started to talk to with other key stakeholders But Don really um, had the vision and uh, also had a great leader in Erica Canet, a principal leader of Earl Boyle's elementary school. So that was really the core elements that needed to be in place to start this initiative. And
0: Erica is still the principal at Earl Boyle's. And Erica
1: is still the principal there. And Don Grotting has moved to Beaverton. So the vision was really to create a new starting line for education, uh, beginning at birth, to show that creating a comprehensive system of supports. For Children and Families Birth to Grade 3, built around an elementary school neighborhood. So having it school-connected, seeing the school as a hub, could have a really powerful effect on improving school readiness and reducing racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic disparities in school readiness. And Beth Green has been with the project since the very beginning. That's actually before I started at Children's Institute. And so it'd be really great um, for her to hear her talk about her role and involvement in the initiative starting at the very beginning. Thanks, Marina. So yeah, I've been involved with uh, the
2: Children's Institute, working on this project and thinking about this project since, I always like to say, since it was a twinkle in Swati's eye. And the, the first thing that we did as a piece of formal work with the Children's Institute was to do a community needs assessment in the Earl Boyles community. CI definitely had a a vision for where they how they wanted to see kindergarten readiness improve, um, but really wanted to start by asking more the question of what does this community really need um, and what's already there that we could build on and leverage um, in terms of strengths to move the dial on kindergarten readiness. So we did a comprehensive needs assessment with the community. We talked to parents, we talked to teachers, we did a scan of available sort of zero to five services and eventually landed on sort of a consensus that what was really needed out there was uh, better access to high quality preschool. There just wasn't any good preschool there. There was nothing at the school and there was very little uh, child care resources available for the community members who were living there.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how that looks in, in the Yankala community?
1: Sure, so similarly um, in Yankala uh, the work um, started with Christy Cox of the Ford Family Foundation um, learning about what was happening at Earl Boyles, and she started having some conversations actually across her fence in her backyard around tomatoes, and her na- the neighbor that she was talking about uh, gardening and tomatoes was the principal at Yonkala Elementary at the time, and Christy was really interested and intrigued by hearing what he was, he was sharing some similar insights in his own community about there just really being a lack of services before school and um, seeing kids coming in with really uh, low levels of kindergarten readiness across the board. And so he and Christy just started talking about some ways that they might be able to address that. And so Christy came to Children's Institute and to SWATI and um, proposed that we start a similar initiative in Yonkala. And that was a year later after we had already launched at Earl Boyles. But both of the sites have rolled out really differently, but have been based on the same principles about being community driven, data driven, and having parents at the, the center of the decision making and it being um, school connected as well.
2: Yeah, so in Yonkala we also started by working on a community needs and resource resources assessment. And I've always reflected that what was interesting was that even though in that community there there wasn't really a pre-K, there was certainly nothing um, that was seen as accessible and high quality in terms of ex- of that community. But what we learned, as the, in terms of what parents wanted, was not a pre-K. We didn't hear from them that that's what they wanted. Instead, what we heard were a lot of historical tensions between parents and the school. They really felt like it wasn't someplace they were comfortable bringing their young children. And so we, and there was also some family childcare providers in the community who I think were concerned that if a pre-K started at the school, they might lose their livelihood. Mm-hmm. So we really need to bring those partners to the table. And so the work really started from a place of needing to recognize and build connections with the between the school and the family and other community members. So that's really where the work started. Whereas I think if we had started in with a pre-K in Yonkala right away, it might not have gone very well because this community just wasn't ready for it.
0: In the early works approach, both Portland State University and Children's Institute work together as partners on the evaluation side of things. Can you talk a a bit about what that relationship looks like uh, between PSU and CI and what works well, and what are some of the challenges?
2: Sure, yeah. So I I think <laughs> it feels like we've had a really strong partnership from the beginning. I mean, we've always felt like um, the evaluation is really another partner at the table in sort of helping to think through the project. Um, so we've really taken its called a developmental evaluation approach where the evaluator isn't this outside entity who kind of comes with a report card and says it's working or it's not working, but is really at the table th- as the project develops and emerges because this project has, you know, it's responded to ongoing progress and it's changed in response to community changes. And this is, this is a great way, I think, to do this kind of evaluation work. The challenge is it takes a lot of time It takes a lot of time communicating, sitting through meetings, figuring out how to make decisions together. Do you have anything to add? Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I think that this has been and I think Beth and I both have talked about how this is one of the best experiences we've both had in terms of a tight uh, partnership between um, program and evaluation. And then also our ability to directly lift up some of the lessons learned to a broader audience and to inform you <sighs> policy. So my background before I came to Children's Institute was also working in evaluation. And it's very rare to have an organization that uh, values evaluation in the way that Children's Institute has and how it's been so tightly embedded into the early works design. And one of the things that I'm always talking about with our partners and internally at Children's Institute is that the evaluation isn't this separate component. It's not this thing that over there. It's not this separate off the shelf topic. It's something that we all need to own. And that um, I think one of the, the values of having my role at Children's Institute working directly with Portland State University is that I can stay more closely connected to some of the program work on that daily basis to help kind of bring up the issues of the developmental evaluation. And then we also bring in our site liaison and our Uh, partners to the table and Erica Ganay continually talks about how the real value or, you know, one of the biggest values of being an early work site. And I think the same thing in Yonkala too, is having that data and the data really sets the table in the communities to have a different type of conversation. And I think in both communities, we've deeply been able to change the culture around how do we make decisions and how do we really actually know what's, what's going on and the data data is really the driving force of that. And without the data, the conversation would be really not as informed and we wouldn't be unpacking the issues as deeply. And, You know, I just—I mean, overall, it's been a really, really strong partnership. And as Beth said, it's—it's—it is challenging because it's complex. And in Children's Institute, we have a lot of different audiences to work with uh, that require different—you know—things out of the data. And so there's just been this continual drive to know that it's working, that the program's working. Like bottom line, what are the outcomes for the kids? But it's really nuanced, and it's Mm -hmm. been a long-term project where there was a lot of slow. Startup, and you're not gonna see those program impacts right away. And the message isn't always simple. And so I think it's just been really an ongoing conversation and a lot of back and forth between the valuation team and our communications team and our program team to really come at it from different ways of messaging it and thinking about there's just so many stories to tell Mm -hmm. out of this data from both of these communities. And each of these communities are evolving in such unique and interesting ways that you know, because we do so many other things in our lives, Beth has a lot of different projects on our plate, and we at Children's Institute are working on so many different things that sometimes it's hard to keep up with the level of stories that are coming out of early works to share.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've kind of touched on my next question, which is really trying to get at the role of evaluation for a project like Early Works and, and the the role and purpose of capturing data over such a long period of time. Say more about that, or maybe Beth, do you want to talk a bit about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, CI really came at this this project leading with we need data to help make decisions. And I think that has been both we need data in real time to make decisions about sort of programming and what's working and what's not, but also recognizing that from a policy perspective, they really need to be able to show and document over time in some quantitative way what are the bi- what are the improvements that are happening. Is this project having payoffs? But balancing those two, too, has been a really interesting and complex sort of uh, rollout over time, but very clearly from the beginning, two main purposes, one to track some really key indicators over time, but then the other is to create and inform and h- help guide decision-making along the way. Um, and it isn't just CI, I would say, that's that's doing that. I think one of the, that again, CI led with data, And it's really been picked up by those partners. As you mentioned, Erica Ganay, the principal, speaks eloquently better than I can about the usefulness of the data. And I think also in the Yonkala community, they've really rallied around what does the data tell us? And also being able to say, all right, we've been tracking this indicator for a while and it's not changing the way we think it should. So what do we need to do differently? They're really living sort of this gospel of data-driven decision-making in a way that I don't think very many projects do.
1: And what has been so uh, profound for me to see is an evaluator who's worked in pretty traditional evaluation settings um, has been the ability for parents and community members to pick up the data and be different consumers of the data and ask real. I mean, the questions that parents are asking have evolved so dramatically over the course of this project in ways that I could have never ever imagined. And I don't ever want to go back now as an evaluator to not including community members or parents' voice in the way that we have. I mean, parents are able to better articulate what research questions we we should be asking, what they want to drill down on. I was um, recently on Yonkala and saw a group of parent leaders looking at the data and demanding a different approach from the superintendent and being really proactive Articulate and advocating for their children for things Mm -hmm. to change in a way that there's no way this would have happened five years ago, ten years ago.
2: It's
0: been empowering for them. Yeah,
1: completely empowering. Right. And I,
2: I also think part of that has been the ability to communicate both what's working and what's maybe not working. That that sometimes there's a hesitation, like do we really want to share back with community members this data that makes it look like things aren't going as well? And that's been the powerful data I think that the parents have really glommed onto. As you were just saying, Marina, like this is these are our kids. We know this is a problem. The data shows it's a problem. We need to do something about it. So, what can we do? And what can the schools do? And what can our other partners do? So, being able to share that data openly, the good news and the bad news, and let them figure out what to do with it has been really, really powerful.
0: How has that process? evolved or changed over the years since the initiative began in 2010? And, and maybe what are some questions that, um, that you ask now that you wouldn't have asked when the initiative began?
2: I think one thing that has definitely changed has just been our own learning curve about the ways that we share the information back. Um, I think like Marina, even though most of my work has been um, pretty strongly in the community-based evaluation camp, the real need to figure out ways to share the data with community partners, has a really we've I've, my learning curve has been huge. Around it's not a final, it's not a formal report. It's not a PowerPoint that presents all of the data all at once. You know, it's showing, it's picking out a few key pieces of data and giving folks an opportunity to think about it, reflect on it in a facilitated way. And that's really a different way of sharing and using data that I, than I have experienced before. Um, so the way that we share the data has been has definitely been different.
1: I also think y- yes, definitely sharing the data has evolved and I think we're getting better at figuring out the multiple different audiences mm-hmm. both at the community state and legislator level, but also just from a management side, I know that's kind of boring to talk about, but that you know, from the beginning, we didn't know through our partnership, PSU and CI, how to manage that component of the evolving pieces of the work. And so we're just getting better at embedding those developmental pieces, the communication plan, the dissemination of the findings into our contract with each other and making sure that we are spending time in advance of each program year, and then also have a standing agenda item on each of our meetings to touch base. Is there anything emerging from the site? Is there any new thing that we need to be considering and, you know, we constantly are encountering sticky issues at the site level. And is this something that the evaluation should be tracking or be aware of? And how do we meaningfully embed that into our work? So we're just more mindful about mm-hmm. it than I think we were a couple of years ago. And just really like, yeah, mindful about how can we
2: be res- as responsive as we can to things that emerge over time, and that's just part of the journey. But it does require some trust and flexibility in terms of negotiating, you know, the contract and the scope of work for the evaluation and where we put our resources and who gets to decide, because there's always a lot of different... One of the complexities of this project is there's so much going on in terms of content now at both places. Where do we put those resources? But...
0: The most recent data set we have is from fall 2017. Could you talk about some of the highlights that we need to be aware of or pay attention to from that data set?
2: Sure. I mean, the thing that comes to mind for Earl Boyles is just that the students in the pre-K have just really been knocking it out of the park in terms of their kindergarten readiness indicators, both in terms of what's measured by the Oregon kindergarten assessment, as well as some other data collection that we do. Those students outperform their David Douglas and statewide peers by a large margin. And it's especially the case for those Latino families. Um, And I think that's really important to call out because reducing the disparities in where children start kindergarten has been a huge goal for this project. And you see that in the Earl Boyles community for sure. At the same time, we're seeing that there's new communities emerging in that school. There's specifically an Asian and Pacific Islander community that last year, some of the data for us indicated they they are not starting out where maybe we hope they would be in terms of kindergarten readiness. Their parents don't feel as welcome in the school as, say, the Latino families w- w- and the other families who've been really a focus of the work. So that's something we're working on this year, like how can we learn from those families families, what would make them feel more welcome? What would, what, would, How can we engage them in the work in the zero to five space before they even start kindergarten? So that's a thing in, pre, in, in the Earl Boyle site. I think in the Yonkala site, it's been different because the work has been different. Um, a lot of the first of five years of work have really been in that zero to five space, specifically around family engagement and connecting those families, as I was saying before, to the school and to get them to trust to bring their children there before they start school, and then to really strengthen the family support for learning at home. So how much enrichment and developmentally appropriate activities parents are able to f- to provide for their children before they even start school. And that's where the work has been, and that's where the data has shown increases. So we're seeing some changes in how often families read to their children, how frequently engage they engage in some really key behaviors that we know are good for children's development. They just started their pre-K, and so we're learning. The first year at both places actually was a little Rocky, getting a pre-K off the ground is no, nothing for the, those lo- faint of heart, but really tra- tracking those outcomes so that we can continue to see the kinds of improvements, hopefully, in the Earl Boyles community that we see, or in the Yonkala community that we see at Earl Boyles.
1: Even though we're not seeing those outcomes that we would want in Yonkala, it's a great opportunity to share that data back with the preschool teachers yes. and the community. It really highlights what we need to be working on and getting some more professional development and support. So that's another, you know, core piece of the evaluation and that we can't emphasize enough is that we really focus on continuous quality improvement all the time, and that data is critical to helping right track and right size our implementation at the sites.
0: Are there any red flags that show up in the data that you're seeing at either either one of the school communities? And if so, what do they look like?
1: Well, I'm not
2: sure if this is a red flag so much, but it was a it was a it was a, one of those moments that made us wonder what was going on, and I think it raised a red flag that changed the nature of the work to address an issue that happened. Um, and this is just an example from Earl Boyles. when they first started the pre-K. We saw this sort of strange pattern in the family data where it looked like all of a sudden the families who were in the pre-K were not doing as many of those developmentally supportive activities with their children as they had been prior to the pre-K starting. Um, so we had conversations with families, we had conversations with teachers, and we sort of have this working hypothesis that especially among the Latino families who validated that this was a probably accurate interpretation, that they were they were they were afraid once the children were in school, to sort of mess with their development, that those children were now in school where the teachers, the professionals, who are honored and respected, were doing their job, and the parents' job was to not interfere, especially in terms of English language acquisition and reading. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of retrenching of the work in the next year to do outreach with those families around, no, it is really important for you to still be reading to your child and reading in Spanish, or having them tell you stories, or doing these developmentally appropriate activities. Those support what the teachers are doing. They don't detract. Um, And then we saw that. shift start to move the other direction. So that's a way that a red flag helped drive the work, which I think has been really important.
0: That's a great example. Thank you. Is there anything else that stands out?
1: Just in both of the sites, I think that, you know, we know that when we're talking about kindergarten readiness and children's needs, that those achievement gaps and opportunity gaps are really detected as early as, you know, 18 months, nine months. And so what we're seeing in the data continually is the need for more robust programming for the birth to 3 and it's it's just harder to do that when there aren't as many there's just not a system across a birth to 5 early learning system and you know parents want so many different things for their kids at that age and so we're really looking at what our our programming for birth to 3 can be and ensuring that we're having better transition you know so much of Mm -hmm. early childhood is um, those transition points so making sure that we have really warm handoffs and thoughtful transitions between our birth to three programming our birth to three partners in the community and as we welcome them into the preschool and those same transitions are critically important as they enter into kindergarten so just I think we need to really be thinking intentionally across those transition points. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious about Yankala being such a small community. Could you talk about the challenges of collecting and interpreting data uh, with such a small number of people? How does that impact the evaluation?
2: Yeah, I mean it's always been a little bit of a challenge because what you see when you have small samples and I mean in Yankala you're talking about you know kindergarten classes and pre-K classes of 11 to 18 students and families, which is tiny every year. So you see more sort of variability in the data. So just a couple of parents who move into the community and have more income and education, for example, can really change things or, you know, just really that data is more volatile in moves based on parent, we do a lot of parent surveys and things, or you have a couple children who come in more behind than maybe some of the other kids, or come from out of the community, because that's the other thing we see on young It's not just a small group that's really stable and goes through school, but they move around. There are three elementary schools sort of in that vicinity, and parents move around a lot between those schools. Um, so I think it's just something that we continue to to talk about when we look at the data as sort of a mantra is if the data moves around from year to year, not to get too, Sucked into trying to interpret a little bit of a bump up or down, but sort of being able to look at the trends over time becomes even more important. Um, I think it also speaks to the importance of doing some of the more qualitative data that we've been collecting. I think the quantitative data can give us those pictures over time, but it is more volatile. The qualitative data has been a really important for shaping the context of understanding what's going on with the quantitative data, especially in that
1: community. I mean, I would just add that, you know, we've always, the design of the evaluation from the outset set has been a mixed method design that draws from both the quantitative and the qualitative side. And it's just just like Beth said, I mean, it's really critical, especially with Yonkala, because the sample sizes are so small, um, to make sure that we're not just relying on that quantitative data, but that we also have the rich qualitative story behind all the data. I mean, quantitative is great, you know, to generate those numeric trends over time and to get a snapshot in time of where kids and families are. But the qualitative data really brings in that rich contextual nuance and can help us unpack some of the things that are happening that we're seeing in the quantitative data. Like going back to the story that Beth said about the Latino families, it did c- emerge from the quantitative data. I mean, we kept seeing. Year after year, and then seeing drops in reading with Latino families, we couldn't understand. We're getting books in the home. You know, we're continually talking about the importance of reading. And so it was so important to follow up with some focus groups to really dig in and understand what's happening there and how can we curb that.
0: You've talked a bit about the way in which the data has influenced parents and families and how they've kind of taken to the process Mm -hmm. and become empowered by that. Mm Has parent involvement in early works changed or influenced the way the
1: data has been collected? Well, we did a community health assessment oh, and yeah. a few oh, years was, ago yes. where we really were intentional about using a community-based participant participatory approach where we trained parents as data collectors and analysts and um, had them really lead on analyzing and presenting the data back to the community and taking those findings and making recommendations with those findings. And I think that doing that work in both of the communities deepened our ability and our capacity to do that community-based participatory research. And I do think that because parents were trained through that process and were empowered, that they're asking different questions and they're thinking about the data in different ways. And I feel like our partners are have, over time, become more critical analysts. Mm-hmm. And so just across the board, I think the community's capacity to understand interpret data and ask new questions of the data has definitely influenced our work
2: another example i can think of um, is that one of the one of the indicators one of the key pieces of the work here has been around developing family leadership and family strengthening family engagement in the school and we've had questions on our more quantitative surveys around that try to get at that, like how interested are families in being leaders? Do they feel like they have the skills to be leaders? And we just continue to, again, to not see the kind of changes in those indicators that we thought should be happening, given what we knew was happening with families and between the families in the schools. So last year, we did a focus group with families in Yonkala around this idea of family leadership and just sort of talk to them about, well, what does, when you hear that, what does it mean to you? And what do you think we should be measuring and it turned out it was really pretty different um, that they didn't really resonate with the word leader they felt like they had ways of bringing their strengths to the school but weren't really comfortable with that word and that terminology so we're trying to reflect now on how can we shift what we're measuring to better capture the real leadership that they are doing without in using words and phrases and asking the questions in a way that makes sense to them terms of their experiences. So
0: it's really giving you a lot of context and information to work with beyond just what I think most people would think of when they think of evaluation or data.
2: Yes. Yes, it it get, it answers those questions whenever I have been in another project where you do a survey, you know, a large-scale survey, and you collect the data, and typically you don't have these kind of ongoing relationships and feedback mechanisms with the people who have been filling out the data and, and using it. It gives you an opportunity to, to ask the question you always want to ask, which is, well, what does this really mean? You now, as a researcher, you're usually doing that sort of separate from The community from whom you've gathered the data and this time that's happening in partnership with, which I think is really unique. At this
0: point in the initiative, what are some key takeaways from the evaluation process that others could learn from if they wanted to replicate early works or attempt a similar project in their school community?
2: I guess from my perspective, I would say, first of all, you know, lead with data. Don't go into a community assuming you know what's needed or what will work in that community. So collect some information that you can use and use it along the way. Like Don't just do it once at the beginning, but continue to use it and integrate it into your process of planning and program development. And again, letting the community drive the priorities. I think too often we kind of go in thinking we know what a community needs or we know what's best. And I think often, more often than we probably know, we're wrong about that. The other piece, and I've said this before in other arenas, is just how long it really does take for a project like this to get off the ground and to really do this kind of work, community-based, family-engaged partnership work. It takes a long time to get the pieces in place and to get them right and to do that quality improvement. This is a rare for me, in my 20 years of doing evaluation work, for someone to come to the table and say, "Yes, we're going to take, we're going to have a 10-year project," but that's the kind of time it really takes to get something like this off the ground and working successfully. Right. And even so, right. there's still many other domains of the work that probably could have been developed and need to be developed. It'll take another 10 years. Right. You know, it just really takes time. I would say you're doing a school-based project. You have to have an engaged, supportive principal. You can't bring that person in. That's just been so key. And that moving the work across still that that b- the barriers that can exist between the pre-K world and the zero-to-five world and the K-12 world – even with a really engaged, committed school leadership is still really challenging. And I think um, some of the work Marina's been doing around alignment and and transitions, I think, is what really needs to happen um, to make that a continuous pathway and seamless system for students and for families. Uh, And that's just really hard. So I would pay a lot of attention to that from the beginning.
1: I would agree with everything that she said. And I would also just want to underscore again um, the leadership, you know, starting, I think, When you're bringing in an initiative like this, really thinking through having a strong leader that also values data and evaluation and an improvement mindset. So working with people that really want to learn both the challenges and the things that are working well and use the data to really propel things forward. Uh, Another aspect of the evaluation that we haven't really talked about either is, you know, we've talked a lot about engaging our parents as um, drivers, and I would say if you have the opportunity to do that, embed them into the evaluation as much as you can. But we've also collected um, a systems-level evaluation uh, where we conducted interviews with um, key stakeholders and primary partners at each of our early work sites. And that piece of the evaluation was really to better understand the process of creating these community-based pre-K to third collaborative leadership teams. And I think um, having that level of evaluation has also been really helpful to understand the, not only the importance of leadership, but partners and what each mm-hmm. partner brings to the table and the mechanisms at which partners can be successful in this type of um, heavy lifting around collaborative work. And what we've learned is that it's really unfolded so completely differently in each of the sites. Mm-hmm. And I think we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't dug Deep into that level of partnership, collaboration, work, and you know, part of the initiative, the Early Works Initiative, it's a demonstration project, but it's really you know a learning agenda. And it wasn't really we didn't set out to understand does pre-K improve uh, improve um, kindergarten readiness and third grade measures of success around reading and math. That's part of the evaluation, but it's also like what does it take for a community to really wrap their arms around. Children and families starting at birth, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedicated time. And leadership is important, but it needs to it, you know, the superintendent, the school board are critically important to that leadership, as well as the principal, as Beth mm-hmm. mentioned, but also partners who are willing to step up to have a shared leadership role in an initiative like this. And so we've seen that. In an urban context where you're starting with a lot more partners to work from and a lot of different resources in Earl boils that we had some ability to really lift off quickly and get some some programming in place because of leveraging those partners, whereas in Yonkala, it's taken a lot longer to get that because there just weren't as many resources and partnerships to leverage. So what a lot of the work in Yonkala entailed was building the capacity of the community around shared leadership and a shared vision. And now that we took the time to do all that work and, you know, Mm -hmm. really build out those relationships and the trust in the community, it's taking off in a whole new way. Whereas, In our other site, we've seen partnerships come and go. There hasn't been that consistent thread of leadership. And with the amount of turnover that we've had in leadership, it's sometimes like starting again at ground zero. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, I mean, it just takes a constant effort of reminding people of what the initiative is and restating why we're here at the table to re-educate the new partnerships Mm -hmm. and new leaders that come in. So that definitely Mm -hmm. takes time as well. And so I just think it's really important to include all those different levels of evaluation so that you're, you're understanding the mechanisms around implementation. It doesn't happen in a vacuum.
2: And just to add on to that, I kept thinking while you were talking about the importance of the shared vision for bringing those partners together around a shared vision, but then also, so there has to be some agreement like what is it that we're trying to move? And I think what that helps you get to is out of a space of, we have so many needs. There are so many things that we could do to improve things for children and families. Where should we start? You just start, you have to start somewhere. And you want to start somewhere where there's going to be potential for impact on that goal. Right. So I think a lot of the the early periods of planning and partnership develop are really kind of feeling each other out around what are our priorities around how do we get there. But then you have to move. You have to move out of the planning stage into deciding we're going to try these things. We're going to see if they work we're going to readjust and we're going to continue to put effort into this around this shared goal. And I think having those community partners really bought into that is important. Uh, and it's easier to get them to buy into the big picture goal than the strategies on how to get there. And that comes over time with seeing, again, the data and the, how the, what the data tells you about what's needed and how things are working.
0: Marina and Beth, thank you very much for joining me today in the CI studio. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Raphael. It's great to be here.
0: This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute, a nonprofit organization working across the state of Oregon to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Learn more at childinst.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher.